My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Coming to you from San Francisco at the epicenter of innovation. This is Invest in America, defining the future. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Did we just freak out over nothing? Is that the lesson of today's run? Dow gaining 207 points, S&P climbing 0.8%, NASDAQ pole vaulting 1.14%? No, no, and no. Now, I've heard a lot of people in the last few weeks going full Edwards, Edwin Starr on us. I mean, they're arguing, trade more. Huh, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing. But the truth is that money managers have a very hard time figuring out which companies will actually be hurt by the tariffs. And that's why we rallied today. Let me explain. First, let me get this out of the way. There's no doubt that the tariffs will do some damage to our economy, at least at first, although so far the pain's been limited, much more limited than many of the experts predicted. Sure, our farmers are getting hurt, but we always bail out the agricultural sector in this country because there are so many senators who represent vast tracts of farmland. Trump has flat out said he'll subsidize farmers even even more if they need it more. Somehow, though, China doesn't seem to understand this dynamic. They, they can slap tariffs on all sorts of produce, and Congress will just pay farmers for their losses. i got to say, the Chinese Communist Party isn't exactly living up to its reputation for brilliance. I mean, right now, get this, they're going after American tequila, for heaven's sake, and not exactly a prime export. I own a Mexican bar. I told my bartender to find me some tequila made in the good old USA to show support for American tequila workers. Uh, we're still looking, having some trouble finding them. No, the real worry uh, isn't what China could do to us. It's what we could do to China. I don't think the Chinese Communist Party understands what will happen to them when Trump slaps a 25% tariff on the other $300 billion worth of exports to the United States. Right now, the Chinese economy is being propped up by aggressive borrow and spend stimulus measures. But if this turns into a trade war of attrition, well, I mean, that whole edifice could collapse. That's something worth worrying about. And while we want to win, we definitely don't want China to collapse. It's the second largest economy on Earth and a hugely important engine of growth for the rest of the world. That's why we spent all day yesterday hearing about the smooth holy tariff act and the coming global depression caused by Trump's trade war. Today, not so much. In fact, today we rethought the whole Megillah. We decided that maybe, maybe they should only punish those companies that are actually in the crosshairs. We embraced logic and proportion which in true Jefferson Airplane mode had fallen sloppy dead just the day before. For example, today we recognize that the Cloud King companies that do virtually no business in China, I think they'll be just fine. Bye, bye, bye. So Adobe, which we'll hear from later tonight, Workday, which was on last night's service. Now you see that? Whoa, Salesforce, Splunk, VMware, and newly crowned Cloud King Twilio won't even get dinged. Adobe's big in China for sure, uh, but the company can't make that much money there uh, because of piracy. Hey, speak of the devil. I mean, these stocks all roared. Now, most traders aren't totally clueless. On a big down day, the companies that are going to be hurt the most see their stocks get trashed the most. The flip side, big up day like today, these same stocks within the trade wars blast radius, 
They go up a little bit less. They're just not big movers today. Ralph Lauren reported a terrific quarter, but the CEO, Patrice LeVay, honest that he is, mentioned that they sourced some sweaters and footwear from China, and that emission sent the stock tumbling. Macy's reports tomorrow, and it, it, it couldn't get much traction today because of the tariffs. Walmart barely budged. And then there's Apple. Apple. While the stock bounced today, you have to recognize that some American companies have spent years breaking into the Chinese market, and Apple's one of them. They do a lot of manufacturing in China, and they sell a lot of phones in China. But they're also a huge job creator here in the United States. Their platform supports 2 million developers in this country. They spend $60 billion a year here. That's up 10% from last year, supporting 450,000 jobs. I mean, if Apple gets caught in the crosshairs, it's bad for us, and it's also bad for China. In a way, they're too big to be targeted. I think President Xi and President Trump should make Apple Switzerland neutral territory. These neutral American companies do exist. I'm betting Nike and Starbucks will be okay because they work closely with the Chinese government, and their brands are very popular there. Plus, Starbucks employs 50,000 people in China, and its stock has barely been dinged. It's easy to see why. As CEO Kevin Johnson told me today, Starbucks just celebrated our 20th anniversary in China. We built Starbucks in China for China. Hey, you know, those guys know the talk, and they know the walk, and they play the long game. All of their 3,800 stores in the PRC were designed and built in partnership with local Chinese artists and contractors. They employ Chinese baristas. They seem to have been immunized. Hmm. Yet Apple can't seem to buy an immunization to save its life. Anything they ship from China could be hit with Trump's tariffs. Anything they sell in China could be hit with a boycott. It's a tough and I think very undeserving spot. Considering the couple million Chinese design, design apps for the App Store, besides the obvious hardware build-outs that are another thousands of people. Now, I want to be careful to point out that the sell-off may not be totally over. We became oversold yesterday, which made for a nice springboard. And it does seem like there's a lull in the trade war after the latest round of escalation. The problem? President Trump is so determined to get everyone to move their manufacturing out of China that it's become a foot race that not everyone can win. Companies that are too linked to the PRC will see their stocks get hammered again on the next down day. The good news, though, is that typically on day three of a sell-off, you only get a smattering of brave souls coming in at the end of the session to do some buy. Today wasn't like that. Today was much broader than that. We got a genuine rally, and that is a bullish sign. Bye, bye, bye. Even Boeing saw its stock run, as did Caterpillar, although both were oversold. And I think they can go up a little bit more, but I wary of them. Uh, Boeing still has a 737 max headline risk. Caterpillar could get slammed if Deer reports a bad number on Friday. Better still, get this. Uber stock rebounded 7.7%. I don't know what to say about that. You know I'm very wary of these recent IPOs, but if people are willing to pay up 10 bucks for a ridiculously overvalued stock like Beyond Meat, as they did today, I have to believe these buyers don't have the most discerning palate. <laughs> However, the main takeaway here is simple. Because there are so many ETFs that link stocks to each other, often ridiculously and tangentially so, because there are so many companies with stocks that should never have been hit in the first place, mixed together with stocks that genuinely deserve to go down, you get this bizarre mosh pit where stocks don't get separated on in one session or even two sessions. It's too difficult. The whole mob trades together. But on day three... Day three today, wonder of wonders, we separate the wheat from the chaff. And the, the sellers forget why they sold, and the buyers remember why they like stocks in the first bye, place. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, 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 bye. Can we keep climbing? 
Well, we've got a gauntlet of retailers reporting this week, and, and they could all be a little bit like Ralph Lauren. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff sourced in China. But at the end of the day, many traders take their cue from the craziest things. The bottom line, without some new trash-talking tweet from the president saying that the trade talks are off, or some retaliation from China that we haven't thought about that will hurt more than the three T's, Tito's Vodka, Trout, and American-made tequila that they're gutted for, then what you see today is what you get. Hey, why don't we take calls? Let's go to Ryan in Illinois. Ryan! Booyah, Jim Cramer, the salt in the stocks. First time, long time, 27-year-old dividend growth investor. We Cramerians know you're no simulation. My electric vehicle play is Albemarle, ticker symbol ALB, is the largest lithium producer in the world, trading near a 52-week low. Is this a wonderful company at a fair well, price or a falling knife? Well, first, Ryan, thank you for this kind of word. But, you know, you got that Sociedad Chemical down there in Chile, and they, they're just pumping it out and pumping it out. So the problem is that we cannot compete when you've got someone in Chile spending, uh, let's just say, fortunes getting stuff out of the ground. So I'm going to have to take a pass on your album, R, but I like the fact 27-year-old interested in playing first time, long time. How about Phil in New York? Phil! Who are you, Dr. Kramer? Thank you. Look, I always needed that degree. Go ahead. The trade war in China and the single pay the single pay that Democrats are aiming for, do you think UNH is a good stock to invest in right now with all the uncertainty going on in the volatility market? Or do you think I should wait to see for it to come down more before I start pulling the trigger in on UNH? Phil, I've got to tell you, this is the most headline risk-oriented stock in the Dow, even more right now than Boeing. I think it's a mistake. I think it should be bought. My Chapel Trust owns it, and I bless it. But if you could get it 232, then I would say, okay, why don't we go to Tom in New Jersey? Tom! Hey, Jim, how you doing tonight? Hey, Jim, uh, Shopify. Pretty good. Yeah. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that just signed a contract with the Canadian government for distribution of, uh, of recreational marijuana. Once the United States eases the federal restrictions, what do you think about Shopify moving into that $50 billion marketplace? There are many reasons to own Shopify. That is one of them, I understand, because remember, Canopy had to buy acreage. I totally get that. But the main reason you buy Shopify is they empower millions, and that's what it's about. They've got all these small, medium-sized business people doing so well, and what a story of democracy that is. That's why you own Shopify. Ah, the wonders to behold. Unless something crazy happens, what you saw today is what you're going to get. Well, we got the trout. They can hurt the Tito's. Oh, man, American tequila. Is there anything better? Mm. Hey, this is tonight. Adobe tumbled with the rest of tech yesterday. But what the heck does the stock have to do with tariffs? I'm asking the CEO about that. And it's moved lower. Then after yesterday's knockdown drag out session, I know you got questions. I'm opening up the phone lines here from you, Kramerica. And it's a company competing with Apple and Google. How does it hold its own against the tech titans? Hey, let's throw in Facebook while we're at it. I'm talking with the CEO of Trade Desk. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. From a product suite to making subscriptions suite, Adobe has a design for wowing the markets. But can creativity create enough value to keep investors buying in to the next big idea from Adobe? We're out here in Silicon Valley, and honestly, we couldn't have picked a better time. With the whole market getting annihilated yesterday on China worries, and then bouncing back today, this is exactly the moment when you should think about picking at high-quality, secular growth companies, especially in the tech sector. Companies like the Cloud Kings, which have almost no exposure to the PRC. We plan to come out here to check on the cloud, among other themes, but after the past week and a half, I think many of these stocks belong in your shopping list here. Witness Adobe rebounding fabulously today, up more than 1.5%. This cloud-based purveyor of digital media and marketing software has been become essential for businesses that want to sell their merchandise online. And that's why this stock's up nearly 350% over the past five years. And with Adobe down almost 20 bucks from its recent highs, hey, call me enticed, but don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak to Shanu Narayan. He's the bankable chairman, president, and CEO of one of my favorites, Adobe. Take a look. Shantanu, in the time we've known each other, I have seen your company go to great heights. I now have to ask you, can you do digital commerce without intersecting with Adobe? It seems impossible to go without you. Well, Jim, it's so great to be back on your show. Thank you. And uh, when we talk about helping businesses transform, uh, we do every aspect of it, helping them create that experience, help them understand how to attract customers. But you're absolutely right, that last mile of transacting with customers is so critical. Well, you have been a visionary. You taught us a lot. I think some of what you taught us is because of things that you've done yourself at your company. Well, as you know, Adobe was uh, a company that actually innovated tremendously, but we had a two-tier distribution channel. And when we completely moved to the cloud, we recognized that every other company would go through what we did. Namely, how do you engage with your customers digitally? How do you understand how to acquire them? How they use your software? And I think sharing our learnings with other people gives us incredible credibility in the enterprise. And we learn from these customers. Well, I know that you engage totally with everybody because what you've been saying is you have a real-time view of customers and you harness their insights to deliver engaging digital experiences. So you're cooperative with everybody. It's not just uh, you're just giving them something. You're working with them after they get it. I think in enterprise software, this third generation, which is all about customer experience Mm -hmm. management, I think it's the companies who recognize that you have to partner with an entire ecosystem to create this real-time customer profile. That's absolutely so critical. That's why our partnerships, whether they be with ServiceNow or Microsoft or the other cloud kings, as you might call them, is so critical uh, in enabling our customers to completely transform themselves. Well, in the time since I've seen you last, this ServiceNow relationship, John Dino, friend of the show, seems to have really blossomed and it's giving you, I mean, I, ecosystem overused word, but you do have something going here that's bigger than where you were before ServiceNow. Well, what we have been able to do is create this real-time customer profile. And people are really within an enterprise saying, how do I create native applications? ServiceNow is clearly the leader in IT service management. What John has done is truly special. And so I think partnering with them to enable IT professionals within an enterprise 
to use Adobe's customer experience management with ServiceNow's IT service management, that was a natural. Yeah, it really does fit together. Uh, one of the things that uh, you and your stock and ServiceNow damn really badly yesterday, I, I'm not laughing about this, but the fact is, is that your China exposure is quite minimal. And if you go down because of that, that may be, let's say, misinformed. Well, we have two businesses. Uh, we have the creative business and right. we have the enterprise business. Uh, to your point, our exposure to China in both of those is fairly minimal. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think if you look at what we've been able to accomplish in the long run and the two tailwinds that we have, we continue to be really optimistic about Adobe's prospects. I spoke, speak a little bit about the tailwinds because I want people to know what secular growth really means because you've got it. Creativity, design and creativity have never been more important. Uh, we talked earlier about everything has a screen. And right. so people are creating content, whether that's a car, whether that's a retail experience, whether it's in a basketball stadium. And Adobe is the content provider that enables all of these screens uh, to be delivered with incredible content. And so given design is more important, given mobile devices are every single place, that's a tremendous tailwind. And then secondly, uh, when people look at what's happening with Amazon uh, trying to get into their businesses, right. the need to transform is also front and center for every C-level executive. And given Adobe's been through our own transformation and has software, they want to hear from us and they want to experience that same benefit that we have been able to see. Uh, uh, one of the uh, companies that has screen is uh, Hulu. Uh, I know they're trusted, you're trusted Let's call it a partnership. Uh, now that they're even closer with Disney, I'm sure that that's something they're going to have to rely on some of Adobe in order to make that work. Jim, you and I have talked about how video is explosive. Just and I think, you know, what Disney is doing both with their own service as well as with, you know, more uh, control of Hulu mm -hmm. is really saying people are consuming more and more content digitally. So providing the analytics for that, providing the digital rights management for that, uh, the right ability to audience segment in terms of who you're attracting, a lot of that is what Adobe powers, not just for Disney, but for, you know, frankly, uh, all the major media companies in the world. Well, let, let's talk about your reach. Uh, a personal anecdote, my daughter is going to Parsons, okay, uh, for an associate's degree on business and fashion. And I said, do you use Adobe? She goes, Dad, it comes with the tuition. This is happening, isn't it? You talk about K through 12. You talk about whole countries. It comes with the tuition. How did this happen that you're integrated into so many programs in schools around the world? Well, everybody talks about STEM and the importance of STEM. Uh, Adobe talks about the importance of STEAM and the world without arts would be a really boring place. And so uh, I think when we have this fundamental notion that everybody has a story to tell, we want, whether it's a K through 12 student or whether it's the largest enterprise software company or enterprise in the world to use Adobe software. And so specifically in education, we have two great products. We have a product called Spark that we want to allow every single student right. to be able to access. The starter thing. People exactly. Get, that's how people get started with you. That's right. That's right. And then with the Adobe stock business, the fact that we can enable them uh, to not have that fear of the blank screen, right. but we have templates with which whom we can create. And in schools like Parsons, which is such a fantastic school, or the Rhode Island School of sure. Design, we want every creative uh, to have access to all of Adobe's products. It is amazing uh, how ingrained you are, but also big CPG companies. I mean, we're not just, not one-on-one, -on -one, but actually the largest need to rely on you. Well, the big CPG companies are going through uh, the following question. 
they have sometimes hundreds of millions or billions of people using their products. Right. They just don't know who they are necessarily. And so giving them that insight of how they create this incredible customer database, how they understand usage patterns, how they understand uh, what these people want, if we can provide that insight to companies, then all the CPG companies can recognize that that direct relationship will enable them to innovate at a faster and pace. Can you give me a good example for a public so they understand? Well, Unilever. Take oh, Unilever. What Unilever is trying to do uh, is really say, we have this tremendous distribution network, but what they've tried to do even with Dollar Shave Club is really say, how do we create an incredible customer right. database? But the same thing's happening across Colgate and that's or you. Procter I mean, & Gamble. So, because Dubin always seems to know, they always seem to know what I want and when I want it. So Adobe plays a role in that. Uh, we are partnering very heavily with Unilever as they embark on this digital transformation and understanding uh, customer patterns, customer sentiments across the world. Well, that's a great example. Let's leave it at that. That's Shantanu Narayan. And Mr. Narayan really is a visionary. He's president and CEO of Adobe. Thank you so much. What a great thing you're doing for the world, democratizing everything. It's great to be here. Everybody's creative. Thank you. Blood red one day, bright green the other. This market's taking us for one wild ride, isn't it? But how do you take these times of market volatility and turmoil and make the best of them? I'm in San Francisco, the city of the heart of innovation with some of the best companies in the world, and I'm here to help you keep your eye on the prize. That's why today I'm opening up the phone lines to you, the voices of Kramerica, to understand how you feel about the twists and turns of the market. You know they're not over, and how I can help you navigate it. First up, we're going to start with Kosh. In Virginia, Kosh. Uh, hey, Jim. Uh, thank you so much for caring about the average Joe investor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I just want to also say that your that your staff is amazing and they're friendly. No, our staff is unbelievable. We come out here and they make it so easy for me, and it's just uh, it's a delight to work with them. How can I help you, Kosh? <laughs> um. Um, because of your advice, um, I trim 20% of my profits right at the May 3rd high. Okay, that's great. Um, mm, what percentage of our portfolio should be cash? Okay, right now for uh, powder for right, stock buying. Absolutely, right now for uh, for I'm telling members of the ActionLearnersPlus.com club, it's still good to have a lot. It's been hard to put to work. Uh, our concern is is that there is still what I regard as being. Uh, one step forward, one step back. Next time, I think you're going to apply some cash to the market. We're oversold. We're kind of past a lot of earnings. We do have to worry about Aaron tweets, but I think a healthy cash position is fine here uh, until we're sure, a little more certain, that we're not in some sort of crazy zone where we can go down a lot more. I don't think we will, but I am still concerned. Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Hey there, Jim. I've always been a fan. Thank you, Mark. And I, and I respect, always respect what you had to say. But there's someone else we both know was recently quoted in the news saying regarding tariffs that it's American importers, the American companies that pay what, in effect, is a tax increase and oftentimes passes it on to us consumers. Reasonable, pe- reasonable, pe- reasonable people know that exporters 
do not pay the tariffs. It's the importers. Right. So the current uncertainty and alternative facts regarding tariffs has plunged the world markets into disarray. Right. At what point will you, will you or can you exclaim, they know nothing, and put the well, perpetrators of this morass on notice or in well, see, uh, The problem is it's a very nuanced uh, thing. I mean, we know that the uh, Chinese have been rapacious. We know that they've made it so that a lot of our companies can't do business there. Uh, at the same time, we know that we don't want prices to go up for everyday Americans. So it is a battle. We do want more free trade, but we also want fair trade. We don't have it from China. So I've been reluctant to make a rant for either side other than to say I am glad, uh, and I echo the feelings of a lot of CEOs I speak, that at least we're trying to get it so it's a fair fight, meaning that we can sell a lot of things there and they can sell a lot of things here. Nobody wants, nobody wants trade shut down. Uh, but until we see some sort of movement by the Chinese or they go back to where they were when they were about to sign, I think that we're going to have to just say, you know what, we're going to live with this for a while. I think it's going to be a long time before we get a final agreement uh, and that maybe the tariffs have to go up to 25 percent and then be walked down as concessions. So no rant. Uh, just be proud of a lot of American companies for trying to make the most of it in China, but really being shut down for the most part. And I think people are kind of sick of it. And that's what's happening. How about Mike in New York? Mike! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. How can I help? Before I ask my question, I just want to give you a a shout-out because I don't think you realize. I've been a viewer since the day number one with your show. and I And I just want to let you know, you saved five to seven years off my retirement. You gave (laughs) people like us the knowledge, the courage, and the confidence to learn about the stock market. And your show is the most important to many of your home viewers. And I'm speaking for all of Crane America. Thank Uh, you. Mike, you're, you're, you're very kind. I mean, I, I hope I live up to what you say. I know that I make a lot of mistakes, and when I hear something, something like what you just said, I just say, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. No, seem to, no need to stop yet. How can I help you? Okay. My, my question is, due to the volatility in the market, right, I'm getting closer to retirement than I thought due okay. to, you know, like we just spoke about. I'm looking at IBM because when I wanted to pull the trigger at IBM, it was, it was like 105, 107. It got right. up to 154. It's 133. I'm looking for safe, secure dividend stock. For my well, I, dividend portfolio, what do you think? I, I, it is. It is one of those. It's got a good balance sheet. It's still. Uh, it's doing incredibly well. You know, it's, it's got all kinds of money for to be able to go buy Red Hat, and I think Red Hat is going to be absolutely a terrific game changer for them. So I bless that decision at one thirty-three. And again, Mike, I thank you so much for those kind words. Let's go to Sheldon in Maryland. Sheldon. Jimbo, appreciate all you do. Big D out of you and your family. Hey, real Thank quick, you. with the recent volatility in politics and tariffs with Deal and Trout, I still see major growth in the smaller LP cannabis plays as a whole. Other than canopy growth, have you seen or recommend any new emerging leaders, either U.S.-based or Canadian? And as always, Jimmy, stay blessed, brother. Thank you. Well, I, I have liked Kronos because of, uh, I, I, well, let's say it, it's come back down from the 20s, and I think it's good. But no, I mean, one of the things I've learned is, is since 1979, when you have a good idea, don't feel like you have to come up with a better idea. And the good idea is Canopy. Uh, that's Bruce Linton. 
and he's got all that money, $4 billion from Constellation. Why do I have to come up with a Tilray? Why do I have to come up with a, a new one? Uh, you know, any one of these that I just think, uh, we, Aurora? No. We stay with Canopy. All right. Update, down day, update again. I got your back, Kramer. Boy, what those nice comments. I, I wish my mom were around. All right, we're going to get through this volatility. I'm here to help you keep your eye on the prize and no panicking, people. How much money was made panicking on Monday? All right, much more mad money. Trade desk said it expects China. China, though, that was no starter. Uh-uh, China, top three market for the company. It's not a non-starter for trade desk, but is it still the uh, case that the tariff debate heats up? I'm talking to the CEO. That there are plenty of unknowns when it comes to the trade debate, but I'm pointing out the uniformity that I've spotted. Annoy your calls, rapid fire, tonight's San Francisco edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. To win the consumer's attention, advertisers must meet the customer where they are. In the digital age, the word goes out on many screens. After a recent drop, should your stock screen still show some love to the trade desk? We have got a treat today. You know I'm always telling you to buy your favorite growth stocks when they get hammered by a a market-wide pullback. Say that strategy paid off, but how do you know which battered growth stocks are worth owning and buying still? Take the trade desk. That's TTD. It's a software company that helps its clients manage data-driven digital advertising campaigns. In a world where more and more marketing dollars are flowing online, there are lots of demand for a solution that will let you get the most bang for your buck on the web. And that's why the trade desk has been such an incredible long-term performer, with the stock running from $50 in early May last year to $232 at the beginning of this month. However, in the past week and a half, the trade desk stock has been hammered. It's sunk to $185, even if a terrific, uh, nearly 5% rebound today. What happened? Okay, last Thursday, the company reported some very strong earnings, but management was conservative, as always, with the forecast. Given how much the stock had run, that was viewed as a disappointment. The stock lost 14% of its value. Then over the next couple of days, the trade desk got hit along with the rest of the market, in part because it recently went live with a new offering in China. And now maybe we have to wonder if that business could be in jeopardy because of the trade talks. Still, the stock has come down dramatically here. So could this be a buying opportunity, or do we need to be more cautious? Let's take a closer look with Jeff Green. He's the founder and chairman and CEO of The Trade Desk to learn more about his company and its prospects. Mr. Green, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, Jeff, I know you're a fan of the show, and I'm Big thrilled fan. about that. Thank you. I am a huge fan of The Trade Desk because your company came public a few years ago, and it wasn't like one of these ballyhooed offerings. But tell people how much money you could have made if you bought on the IPO. Well, so uh, the day that we priced the IPO, we priced at $18. By the end of the day, it was high 20s. And uh, of course, we were at 230, so up 1,000% in about three, less than three years. And I always tell people, look for the ones that don't have the gigantic pop and the go, then go down. You have a fabulous business. Can you explain how your platform works and why everyone knows this, oh, they can be wiped out by Google or Facebook in a second. Why that's not in anybody's interest for that to happen? Yeah, let me start with Google and Facebook. So if you want to buy Google or YouTube, google.com or YouTube, right. you go to Google. Yeah. If you want to buy Facebook, you go to Facebook. Those are the things both of those companies specialize right. in, but neither of them specialize in, in the rest of the internet. And what we really are trying to help marketers do is figure out should I buy the front page of the NewYorkTimes.com? Should I buy CNBC? Should I buy the Hulu 30-second spot? And helping them use data to figure out exactly which of those they should buy, that's what we're in the business of doing. 
because uh, Google and Facebook don't really specialize in that, uh, we're not competing with Google and right, Facebook's right. core business. We compete with uh, what I always say to our team, the 47th highest priority at Google, and right. that we do. Now, you do it very well. Mm. I, I love growth that is oxygenated, but your growth with a profit. Could you tell me about this rule of 40? Because I have not explained it well enough. I have been remiss, and I know you know it well enough to be able to tell our viewers. Well, I mean, basically, you're trying to figure out the right multiple between profitability and growth. Right, right. And we have uh, uh, essentially the highest rating of, I think, any public software any, company. Yes, number one. That, that we're number one. Uh, not, instead of the rule of 40, which is basically a, a line in the sand that says if you have that, that multiple or that balance between those two things, then uh, you're healthy, right. and we're actually double that. Right. Uh, so I want people to understand what that means is that you can have growth. Look, it's high risk to have growth uh, with actual big losses. It is much better to find a company like Trade Desk with growth and that is making money. Uh, you are willing, because you've got enough cash, willing to do it, you're willing to take a long-term position and try China at a time when everyone's running from China. Why is that logical and smart? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we've done really well is partner with the biggest media companies in the world. So we have something that makes it possible for us to partner with all of them, which is we don't own any media, so we're not competing with them. Right. Uh, so, as a result, I think we're the only company in the world that can partner with Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Apple, which we have in the past, as well as Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. So over the last few years, we've been partnering with the biggest names in China, like Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. And we did something unique that most companies don't do when they go into China, which is we said we're going to bring money into China instead of trying to take it out. Instead of trying to tap into the Chinese consumer and take money out, Let's bring spend or advertising spend from the biggest brands in the world. And it's made it easy for us to, to, to go into China when other people are running out because we're using a different playbook. And I know from the apparel companies and consumer packaged good companies, they make fortunes selling in Tmall, but they do it with your help. They don't know how to do it otherwise. It, exactly. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't forget uh, China is the second largest ad market in the world, and it's growing twice as fast as the United States. It's the first or second largest economy, depending on how you measure. And for our, our clients, the biggest brands in the world, they want to advertise all over the world. So we're helping them go into every major country, not just, not just the U.S. News today, uh, David Faber broke about how Comcast is basically giving Hulu to Disney in return for a lot of money. It was a win-win for both companies. Where do you play within something like that? Well, so one of the, the most exciting channels that we have ever seen and will ever see is the move from traditional television into connected TV. So at Netflix changed the game when they started making content on demand, and now every consumer in the world has learned what we have, which is on-demand content is amazing. But most consumers uh, uh, can't afford another uh, subscription. Right. They, most uh, uh, content is ad-funded uh, on your cable TV, 490 of your 500 stations have ads on them. Right. And so uh, uh, what Hulu represents for us is another place for us to go show ads in a highly targeted way so that we can help fund the amazing content that they're producing. And they're one of many, and Disney will be the same as ours. Uh, and where are we in terms of just the growth of the web, the total addressable market that you see now versus the future? So uh, to me, that's one of the most exciting things. When you're looking at companies, from my perspective, you want to look at somebody who has a massive TAM, uh, a total of the market. market. Right. So uh, we have $725 billion TAM today, but it'll be a trillion dollar market in about seven and a half years. 
uh, so it grows about uh, 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 1.5 times uh, uh, the, the pace of GDP. Right. Uh, uh, and it's growing all over the world. And we think that we actually provide growth to the world because we're taking products to places where economies want to grow. Well, I totally agree with you. We're getting a rare opportunity to buy a company uh, in a period where it has finally pulled back. And just because it's pulled back doesn't mean it's damaged. The stock is damaged. The company's doing great. I want to thank Jeff Green, his founder and chairman and CEO of the Trade Desk, TTD. Thank you Stand so much, back Jim. Really thank you, appreciate Jeff. it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That's over the lightning round. Let's go to Fred in California. Fred. Hey, Jim. Howdy. Yo, Fred. Southern California, booyah. Oh, man, we're loving it out here. Oh, Southern California. Okay, good to have you on the show. Okay, I, I'm... I'd like to know your opinion on Keysight Technology, K-E-Y-S. Man, this thing, is, it, it's just been a horse. It's a good company. I know I've looked at it a couple times. We're trying to figure out a profile. I think it's okay. I think you're in good shape with that. Let's go to Alex in New Jersey. Alex! Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call tonight. Of course, of course, of course. So, Jim, with Bitcoin prices surging again, and while well, talks of digital currency being developed throughout giants like Facebook and J.P. Morgan Chase and others, is Brinks still a good investment? Hauling money? Well, the problem with, you remember, Brinks, we also uh, profiled as a company that would do well in the uh, cannabis trade because you need cash. I have felt that they have become far more than just a bunch of trucks that picks up money. I think it's a good solutions company. I like it, and I would buy it here. Jim in Washington, D.C., Jim! Booyah, Jim. Greetings from deep in the swamp of Washington, D.C. Yeah, we got to drain that place most certainly. What's going on? <laughs> My stock question's MSG, Madison Square Garden Company. Nah, too, uh, too episodic. Too episodic for this guy. I'm going to say no to that one. All right, let's go to Brett in New York. Brett! Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing well. How about you, Brett? Good. Uh, question. QCOM, Qualcomm. Um, with wow. all the analysts saying the stock is overbought and tariffs in place, how do you think the stock plays out? Buy or sell? Well, I, I do think that we have missed the great deal of the Qualcomm move, uh, and I think we're late to the party. I'd rather not be late to the party. So I'm going to take a pass on that one and say, not here, not now. Let's go to Luke in Michigan. Luke! Booyah, Jim. Thanks for Booyah. taking the call. Of course. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Carvana. Oh, my God, the millennials know how to buy cars. I think Carvana is terrific. Really cool soundboard, huh? Let's go to... No. Let's go to Eric in New York. Eric. Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, my question is on Cigna. With year-over-year revenue growth at 76% and a forward PE of 9, is Cigna deserving of this downtrend? No, but people hate this group. They worry about the single payer. They worry about all the things that are never going to happen. I say you're fine in the stock, but patience is warranted. How about Amy in Nevada, please? Amy. Hi, Jim. Uh, great to talk to you as always. Um, I'm calling today about uh, a software company called Nutanix. 
Nutanix, we had them on. I thought they told a good story. As good as Nutanix is, though, I am partial to VMware and Sanjay Poonin. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When I talk to CEOs about Trump's trade war with China, they generally fall into one of two camps. Either they say Chinese companies are impossible to deal with, they steal our intellectual property with impunity because they know we'll have to accept the ridiculous terms and that's the way it is. Or they say Chinese companies are impossible to deal with, they steal our intellectual property with impunity because they know we'll have to accept the ridiculous terms, but at least President Trump is trying to do something about it. I find the uniformity of their disillusionment with China downright stunning. And there's a firm belief that something needs to be done. And at least Trump has a plan. It may be flawed, but a flawed plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. Yet when you listen to all these talking heads from politicians to out-of-work executives, they tell us over and over again that if we just work with our trading partners, we can cordon off China and force them to change their policies. Nearly every time I mention this view to a CEO, they laugh. They say the Europeans are competing with our companies for the same business in China, and they'll happily accept more onerous terms if it means BMW and Mercedes can take market share from Ford and GM. There's no way to form a united front against China on trade because they can play us off against each other. I always ask myself, why don't these unemployed former senators and recently retired CEOs and has-been governors ever mention this stuff? Now, every executive I speak to has taken at least one economics class, some of them a couple. They know the trade war means there will be less commerce. They know the president isn't handling things perfectly. They don't want to cause a worldwide slowdown, which could potentially happen if the tariffs crush the Chinese economy. But the Chinese leadership refuses to make a deal because capitulating to America would damage their standing within the Communist Party. But, th- but here's how many of these CEOs figure things will play out. Trump wants to slap 25% tariffs on everything we import from China, something that could potentially put $100 billion a year into the government's coffers, helping to close the budget deficit. Never mind that it's basically a sales tax on Americans. He can frame it as a tax on the Chinese. Even the People's Republic refuses to make a deal. If they won't, Trump can point to that revenue as a victory in and of itself. Look, we do have an incredibly strong economy with the lowest unemployment rate since the 60s, but much less inflation. So if we are ever going to challenge China, I mean, now is the time to do it. Even the CEOs who hate Trump, and many of them do, acknowledge that. In other words, it's not like the president is doing this stuff for no reason. The Chinese Communist Party may have a decades-long view, but Trump's view is that the communists in China may turn out to be more vulnerable than they seem, just like the communists in the old Soviet Union, whom we were so scared of. Either way, once he got 25% tariffs on everything that's made in China, then Trump will be willing to walk them back down in exchange for real concessions. Sure, I wish he wouldn't conduct his trade policy by tweet, but every time I talk to these executives, they ask the same question to me in many different forms, but it's still the same. You have any better ideas on how to make China play fair? I don't. 
So even though the trade war means that earnings per share might go lower short term for a handful of obvious companies or more if the tariffs trigger a global slowdown, our CEOs seem to be willing to take the pain because they've had it up to here with the People's Republic. I've talked to these execs for a long time, and I keep coming back with one vital conclusion. China has overplayed its hand. Even CEOs who would never vote for Trump are willing to see their own earnings cut if it means they can get a more level playing field down the line. Yeah, their trade practices are really that bad. And only the punditocracy refuses to admit it, either because they bought into the myth of China's invincibility, or they believe in free trade at any cost to our working people. Oh, or maybe they're bought and paid for themselves. Stick with Craig. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Trout, tequila, and Cheetos. That's what they're gunning for. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here, man, buddy. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you tomorrow.